World of the Bible, Lesson 17. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. And I say that very intentionally because this lesson is going to be about the Christmas story. So I want to call this lesson The Barrenness of Women and the Blessing of Mary. As we've been thinking about ancient Near Eastern cosmology and the story of the Bible, I'd like to take these last couple lessons to think about the arrival of Jesus and how that relates to the understanding that people had of ancient cosmology and the significance of how it's used in the story of the Bible. And in the last lesson, we did talk about Jesus being the temple presence, heaven and earth coming together in Jesus, and how that would have been so different from the understanding that people had in the ancient Near East and in the first century. I'd like to zoom in a little bit more on the idea of God overshadowing Mary in Luke chapter 2. We highlighted that language and how that would have clearly played off of, but inverted massively differently with the stories of gods and women and offspring. So I want to connect those together thematically, because that was a, a clear idea in the ancient Near East. But of course, you and I both know that there is something majorly different here. We do have a son of God that is born, but born in, of course, a unique way in which all Mary did was just become a vessel for God to show up, right? So I want to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 and think about the curse that is mentioned in chapter 3 verse 15 and then what's talked about with um, the woman and with having children. And I, I, I would like to read that and I like to suggest that this verse relates to a major theme in the Bible of women struggling to get pregnant and also the theme of unexpected pregnancies. And then I want to connect this theme to what we are thinking about in Luke 1 and 2 with the two women who have unexpected pregnancies, which would be uh, Elizabeth and Mary. All right, so I want to go from Genesis 3, and then we'll talk about various passages throughout Genesis and later on in the Bible, and then to Luke 1 and 2. And now I have 16 minutes to get that done. <laughs> so let me read real quick Genesis 3. After God has confronted the serpent, and he said that I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman and your offspring, your, your seed, your Zerah in Hebrew, and her seed. He then says to the woman, I'm going to multiply your pain in childbearing, is how the ESV translates it. In pain, you shall bring forth children. 
And it says, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So in Genesis 1 and 2, the idea of seed is a really big deal. It's a major theme in the first couple chapters. And it reflects this idea of blessing and multiplication. Of course, right? The seeds of plants and trees are mentioned. In chapter 1, Adam and Eve can eat of those seeds, of those trees. And it's it's said of the, the, I actually want to get the the right language here for you guys. So it says at the end of chapter 1, the uh, seed, let me read it. I have given you, God says, every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. Okay. And you shall have them for food. So notice how seed and fruit are connected there. Hold on to that idea. God says you shall have them for food. And then um, to the beast of the earth, birds of the heavens, everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And God saw it was all good. So with that blessing in mind, we have to look at Genesis 3 and what God says. And I think a theme of seed is present here. Okay. So to the woman, or sorry, to the serpent. God confronts the serpent in Genesis 3 and says, it literally says in Hebrew, the seed of the serpent is going to be in conflict with the seed of the woman. Okay, so, and the seed of the fruit has already been brought up in Genesis 1. And, of course, the problem that is bringing about this curse section in Genesis 3 was that Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. Okay. So I have the seed mentioned there. There's going to be a conflict with the seed of the serpent and a conflict with the seed of the woman. That's the literal Hebrew word that's translated. We translate it offspring, but it's the Hebrew word seed. Now to the woman, God is going to say something about uh, offspring. It doesn't say seed here, but uh, it's pretty obvious that here we're talking about the offspring or seed. And then I'm going to take a while talking about this. And then there's a connection with the man and seed as well. Okay. So stay with me here, guys. It's going to get a little technical, but hopefully there's something here that you find interesting. So modern translations. Let me start with some modern translations of Genesis 3 verse 16, um, it says, um, in thinking about the woman, okay, I will, uh, the American Standard Version says, I will greatly multiply thy pain and thy and thy conception, okay? In pain thou shalt bring forth children. Common English Bible says, I will make your pregnancy very painful. In pain you will bear children. Let's see, the Holman Christian Standard Bible, I will intensify your labor pains. The English Standard Version, I will multiply your pain in childbearing. The Good News Translation, I will increase your trouble in pregnancy. 
That was interesting. And then it says, and your pain in giving birth. Uh, that's I'm intrigued by that one. Um, the good news translation here. Um, uh, yeah, we got that. Um, let's see. King James, I will multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. Hmm. That word conception is, is interesting. So uh, let me see uh, the message. I'll multiply your pains in childbirth. New American Standard, multiply your pain in childbirth. Uh, NIV, pains in childbearing uh, will be very severe. New King James, I will multiply your sorrow and your conception. Isn't that interesting? Your sorrow and your conception. Do you hear the difference there? There's a there's a, a separateness. There's sorrow and conception. Um, let's see. New revised. I will greatly increase your pains in childbearing. Uh, revised standard pain in childbearing. Okay. So Webster, World English Bible, multiply your pain in childbirth. Oh, the Wycliffe uh, translation, I shall multiply thy wretchedness and thy conceivings. And uh, Young's literal translation, multiply thy sorrow and conception. Okay, so th that was a lot of verses, but I hope it just showed that there's a translation issue here. Notice how some of those those verses were translated differently. Um, what's going on here? Well, the Hebrew word uh, for childbearing in the first line, I will surely, I will multiply your pain in childbearing. I'll just use the ESV. That word childbearing, the Hebrew word is he-ra-yon, he-ra-yon. And it is used three times in the Old Testament three times. And the root of it is hara, which means to conceive. Okay. So check out Ruth 4.13. It shows up. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife and he went into her and the Lord gave her conception. Hey, Ravan. And she bore a son. Okay. And then Hosea 9.11, it, it speaks of what seems to me three different stages of pregnancy. So here we go. Ephraim's glory shall fly away like a bird. No birth, no pregnancy, no conception. So no, no birth, no actually bearing a child, no pregnancy, which uh, is a reference to the belly, to the womb, to the body in Hebrew, and no conception. And there's our word, hey, ravon. In other words, it's the conceiving that seems to be mentioned in Genesis 3.16, that it will become difficult for women to have children. That's the pain. That's the toil. I, I don't think it's necessarily referring to pain in giving birth. I think it's a toil in having a child, having an offspring. Now, that next phrase does seem to speak of a toil in bearing a child as well. But I wonder if the previous phrase, pain 
in conception should help us think that this is about the product, not the process. In other words, of actually conceiving a child, the ability to do that is going to become painful and difficult. It's going to be sorrowful. It's going to be sad because it will become difficult for a woman to conceive. Um, that I, I need to unpack that more. So the word um, is about conception. Um, now think about the rest of Genesis for a minute. What is the major theme of all the patriarchs and all their wives? It's Is it that they have pain when they give birth or it's that they are having difficulty having a child and right it, it's about barren women sarah is barren abraham's wife and god provides right in an unusual and unexpected way god steps into their life lives and brings life where there wasn't after might i add they had rebelled or shown a lack of belief. Okay. Rebecca, same thing, is barren and God provides. Keep going through Genesis. Leah and Rachel are both spoken of as barren and it says God opened their womb. The, the narrative in Genesis is draw, driven by couples trying to be fruitful and multiply and are now distanced from God's presence. They're, they're apart, sorry about that. They're apart from God's presence. Remember God said, be fruitful and multiply. Bring life into the world, God says, like I do. I bring life, now I want you to bring life. But as Adam and Eve leave God's presence, the source of life, they're going to experience death. They no longer are able to tap into God's life. So it kind of makes sense that when they leave God's presence, they're not gonna find life or even create life. They're, it's going to become more difficult for them to do that. And God's gonna to need to help them. Think about what uh, it says in Genesis four, when Eve has sons, it says the Lord enabled her to conceive. And at the end of chapter four, again, God has enabled me to have a son. And they called him Seth. Fast forward through the rest of Genesis, and you have guys and gals making horrible decisions, um, trying to have kids. Uh, Ham, sorry about this. If children are listening, you might want them to not listen right now. Ham, I think in Genesis 9, has sex with his mom. That's what uncovering his father's nakedness is, and he's wanting to become the patriarch and to gain power over his dad by doing that. Lots of daughters have sex with him to try to have kids. And of course you have Judah in chapter 38 of Genesis, this really sad story about Tamar and her struggles in getting pregnant and continuing the family line, which by the way, is Jesus's family line, okay? It's really significant. And I know we skip it when we teach it to junior hires because it's really uncomfortable and embarrassing. 
but I see a theme here. So what about what about to uh, Adam? The the idea of toiling is mentioned in Genesis three with the ground. The ground is not going to produce uh, as easily. Could I suggest the idea of <clears throat> the seed or fruit will not be easily able to, to, to get, and he will struggle and toil to get that produce, the, the product. So I think there's a parallel worth considering maybe here. The struggle is the product, not necessarily the process. I mean, the process is there, obviously, but the sorrow, the toil is not having the product. And I think that's what's happening with, with um, what God says to Eve as well. Think of the rest of Genesis. How often do we read about famines happening? I mean, it's all the time. And these famines create difficulties and the need that people have to have to go to Egypt, to go away from the promised land, which just totally parallels what is happening with Adam and Eve going away from the promised land. Yet God is, of course, at work through those families, um, protecting them through the famines and providing um, fruit for them, right? Providing food for them and protecting that family line that, of course, uh, is tracked not just through Genesis, but through the rest of the story, the covenant family, through whom I think Genesis 3.15 refers, one uh, offspring of the woman, who will crush the head of the serpent. Now, let me real quick fast forward throughout the rest of the Bible. As we read the rest of the Bible, the story follows the trail of children being born and a heightened expectation of a Messiah who will rescue Israel from their enemies. And the soap opera stories of the patriarchs continue with the judges and with the kings and how people, how women get pregnant, and who their sons become. And you're left wondering, will a woman finally have an offspring that will confront the serpent's offspring? And of course, this gets us to the story of Jesus. And um, in, the, in the previous lesson, we highlighted how Elizabeth was barren in Luke 1 and how that gets hyperlinked back to Abraham and Sarah. And think about how significant Abraham and Sarah are in Genesis. They are the couple that God starts his rescue program through. They come out of the scattering of, of Babylon and the Tower of Babel. And, and Abraham isn't exactly the model human, right? As he hides behind his wife and struggles to, to trust in God. Yet God decides to make a covenant with them. And even though Sarai is barren and old, God brings life into that barrenness. So we've got Genesis 3, linked to Genesis 12, and then Genesis, uh, Luke 3 with Elizabeth. All this links together. And we need to remember, why are women barren in the first place? The story of the Bible is saying to us that humanity has chosen to eat of the fruit of the seed of the death tree, right? They decided to find wisdom apart from God, and it has left leads to death, not to life. And I think this makes perfect sense with the idea of barrenness. Um, this, this is the death of humanity. And, and so we come to Mary, 
a, a woman who is a young woman who is honorable and not yet even married to Joseph. And so she's not able to conceive, right? And she is, is definitely seen in an honorable way, and so is Joseph. So notice how their stories are inverted from those in the Old Testament. And um, there's no drama soap opera here in one way, yet there's something unexpected as the Spirit of God overshadows her. Remember that temple presence of God. God is now acting on his own, stepping in, just like he did with Abraham and Sarah. And just like he did with Eve, enabling her to have a child. But of course, guys, the way Mary um, is pregnant is completely different than anybody else in the Bible because her child is completely different. Now God's life-giving presence has arrived to, the, and the, to be the offspring of the woman from Genesis 3.15. This is Emmanuel, God with us. And reversing the conditions humanity has brought upon itself by becoming the human we were supposed to be and confronting spiritual rebels behind all the sin in the world. Um, so let me, let me just end with us having Mary share with us her Magnificat in response to the incredible news that she gets that she was going to carry the Christ child who she was without and now she is with child as we've been thinking about. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my savior for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant for behold now from now on all generations will call me blessed for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name for his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown his strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever.